Most of us give lip service to the fact that we believe that everyone is unique, but do we really understand how unique each one of us is? The DNA molecule determines our inherited qualities. And mathematicians, they've actually estimated that DNA molecules can theoretically unite in an infinite number of ways. And this is the number. It's 10 with 2 billion, 400 million zeros behind it ways. That's how many ways. So to grasp the enormity of that number, let's say that each of these numbers was one inch wide and you were to place them down in a row, it would be 37,000 miles long and 59,000 kilometers. So when I say you're unique, that's not just a, a theological statement. That's a, a scientific fact of life. When God made you, he broke the mold. And he doesn't make any copies. There are no duplicates. My grandson and I are collecting uh, Tim Horton's hockey cards and it's frustrating when you get the same player over and over again and he's kind of a nobody if he was a star it would be great the card would be worth more and then there has never been anybody like you and there never will be anybody like you in the future and I tell my wife that every day. I tell her how lucky she is to be married to the only Greg Nicholson that there will ever be. We're in a teaching series entitled Shaped for Service. And in Job 10, Job wrote, Your hands shaped me and formed me. So God has shaped you for a significant purpose. And and we're talking about five different aspects of that shape. So first of all, we understood how God has given us special spiritual gifts. So these are a set of special abilities that God has given to us to help us love others and to serve others. And they were placed in us at conversion. And then God has also given you a basic heart. And these are the special passions that God has given you so that you will glorify him on earth. So we ask questions like, what do you love? Or what motivates you? And then we moved into the fact that God has also given you natural abilities. And this was a set of talents that you were born with. And he also wants you to use these to make an impact for him. And then the P in this is the personality that God has given you. And he has wired you in a specific way that will enable you to navigate life and fulfill your kingdom purpose. And then God has also given you experiences. And this would be the parts of your past as well as uh, good things that have happened in there. It can be bad things that have happened, but they are all intended by God to be used in great ways. So these five things all combined shape the you that you see right now. They make you unique. And today we're going to look at the fourth part of this, and that is your personality. So personality has to do with the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. Scientists have said that there are actually 18,000 different character traits or combinations that can be identified. 
Now that's not as impressive as last week. James said that there are 50,000 different natural abilities that people could have. But we have a combination of those 18,000 traits and we're so complex that we're a mystery to ourselves. We can't figure ourselves out. We do things and we wonder, why did I do that? Why can't I stop doing that? So your personality influences so much. It influences every decision you make. How you deal or don't deal with change. It influences how you solve problems. It influences what makes you happy and what makes you sad. It influences what you think is funny and what you don't feel is funny at all. And it also influences the kind of work you should be in, the kind of person you should marry, and then it influences the kind of ministry that you should be doing for God. Because some people, they respond to God in a quiet kind of meditative way. Others in a very emotional, loud kind of way. And we're, we're all different. But the number one way your personality shows up is in how you relate to other people. And I want us to look at understanding why others misunderstand us. So 1 Corinthians 12 now, I'm reading this from the Phillips paraphrase. It's not a translation, but I like the way it's worded. Men have different gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served. God works through different men in different ways, but it is the same God who achieves his purposes through them all. Each man is given his gift by the Spirit that he may make the most of it. So it's obvious that God loves differences, that he, he loves variety. And every one of us thinks differently, we feel differently, we react differently. We're just different in every area of life. And because of your personality and these factors that God has put in you, you are unique. And that will cause people to misunderstand you. And it may cause you to misunderstand others. But there's no right or wrong temperament. There's no right or wrong personality. God gave it personally to you for a purpose. He did it intentionally. In 1 Samuel 16, we read, and this is in reference to King Saul, who has been king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not Consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the people wanted him as king because he was so handsome. He was so tall, but his heart wasn't in the right place, and God was removing him from there. And the world looks at external things like prestige or position or wealth, but God places highest value on the less visible aspects of our lives. And one of those is your personality, which is God's gift to you. He created it and he gave it to you for his glory. And he instilled a unique personality in each one of us. And understanding and embracing that is the key because we want to serve him in ways that come naturally to me. Now, I know you won't all be able to do this, but just take a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to sign your name, write your name on that piece of paper. There might be something in the back of the chair in front of you. There could be pens there. 
A few of you have one. But try this when you go home if you haven't been able to find something. Because I want you to then write with your left hand. Sign your name with your left hand. And you'll discover that it will be uncomfortable. You'll discover that it takes extra time and effort. And you'll also discover that you did a lousy job anyway. And the same things are true when we try to minister in areas that aren't suited to our personality. Because God has wired us in this unique way. And this factor is very important in matching you to the right ministry. There are all kinds of different ways that scientists and psychologists have been trying to classify personalities. And most of them actually go all the way back 2,000 years to a guy named Hippocrates. And he thought this up at that time. He classified everybody into four different temperaments. Sanguine, phlegmatic, melancholy, and uh, choleric. And I just have some explanations of each of these that I'm going to read for you. And as I'm reading, just be thinking of how you see yourself in there. Maybe you see your spouse in there. Maybe you see your parent or a child. Or it could be uh, your boss. It could be someone you work with. But first of all, we have a sanguine's main goal in life is to have fun. And they try to make fun out of every situation. They don't ever plan anything because that's not fun. And it's tough on the people living with them because they're always the life of the party. And the family doesn't want them to be the life of the party, but they are. Everything they have, they think the whole world should know about. They believe their stories are more fabulous than any other story. And they'll take a little boring story and they'll add meaty stuff to it. And you may consider that lying, but to them it's not. It's just improving your life. And my brother is a master at this. He'll tell a story about me that is about this long, and by the time he's finished, it's this long, and everybody is laughing. But... These uh, sanguines, they are very curious people. They want to know what you're all about. And time is their enemy. And they usually don't wear a watch. And they love getting a microphone into their hands. They love being in front of people. Now, cholerics always want to be in control. They have the strongest of personalities. And most of my family were here at the first service in the front row, so I was kind of looking at them as I picked out the one that was belonging to them. But cholerics, uh, they, try, they actually uh, can be classed, maybe you call them a type A personality, or you could say obsessive-compulsive or workaholic, or maybe someone would say this person is a born leader. But they try to control themselves and others. And their strengths are that they are very task-oriented. They have a one-tracked mind, which can actually lead them to be bossy and demanding. They are mental planners. They don't write things down, but keep track of them in their minds. And as far as they're concerned, their way is the right way. They are practical and logical, which can lead them to be critical of others who don't see things the same way they do. They're very productive. They're always in continual motion. They never have any time to rest because that isn't work. They persevere and thrive on opposition, which can lead them to be tactless and insensitive to others. They are very controlling of themselves and others. 
Now, melancholies, they like to be organized and do things perfectly. And they're introspective, so they often keep a journal. They have a place for everything, and it's labeled. They're neat and orderly, so they have the color-coordinated wardrobe. They also have calendars where they write down everything that's going to be done, and then they check it off when it is finished. And they collect coupons. They have a coupon box. It's not just some coupons thrown into a drawer, and they're listed by, this is cereals, this would be some other thing, and they're listed by date of expiry as well. Very organized. And when it comes to Bible study, they have different kinds of Bibles for different things. They have a devotional Bible with 365 daily devotions, and they follow that religiously, and they will get through that 365 devotions book. Then they have a study Bible, and then they'll have a con another concordance that they use to find scriptures, and then they'll have a topical Bible. And melancholies love to counsel other people, and they don't get tired listening to other people's problems. Their motto is, anything worth doing is worth doing perfectly. Now, phlegmatics tend to be very easygoing and mellow kind of people. They like to relax. They actually have fun by relaxing. Sometimes decisions are very difficult for them, and it's probably because they can emphasize with both sides. They can be very easily distracted. Sometimes their tasks are left uncompleted. But if they're interested, it's important to know they can focus well. That being distracted, I've got that issue going on. But when they're interested, they can tune out things around them completely, sometimes to the distraction of their spouses. And things like kids and housework can be left on notice while they're finishing what they're trying to do. They like to take the easy way, which is often the quicker way. Now, I know this is just an aid. There are so many different ways to categorize personality. It's far too complex to fit into one pattern. But what I want to say about this can be summarized in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. You know the thoughts that another person has. Only a person's spirit that lives within him knows his thoughts. It is the same with God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So personality can be a reason why we serve in a certain way. It can be seen as a gift from God himself, but it can also be used as an excuse not to serve. Well, I I'm too introverted, I couldn't do that, or I'm too nervous, and I couldn't do that. But two weeks ago, I told the account of Joseph, and it led up to where he had brought his family down from Canaan, from the promised land, and they were settled in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And that first pharaoh was favorable toward them, but the next pharaoh wasn't, and they ended up becoming slaves. And they were making mud bricks. That was the thing that they were forced to do. So after about 320 years of that, God seems to have had enough, and he raises up Moses. And you probably are familiar with the story. The Egyptians were concerned that the Hebrews were growing in number. So Pharaoh decided that all boys under the age of two in, within the Hebrew nation would be killed. So Moses was born at that time, and his mother 
wanted to save him, so she put him in a basket, placed the basket in amongst the reeds on the Nile River, just slightly up the river from where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe every day. And of course, Pharaoh's daughter found the basket, saw the boy, and wanted to adopt him as her own. And immediately, Joseph's, excuse me, Moses' sister came along and said, I could get one of the Hebrew women to be a nursemaid for him. So Moses spent the first six years of his life with his biological mother and then moved into the palace. But after 40 years, he, he was fully aware of who he was from his upbringing with his mother. And he saw an Egyptian beating on one of the Hebrews. So he beat the Egyptian and actually killed him. But he looked around and he didn't see anybody and he thought maybe this has escaped anyone's eyesight. But later on, two Hebrews were fighting with one another and he started to intervene. And then they said, what, are you going to kill us like you did that Egyptian? So he realized that he was in trouble. So he left and went to Midian for 40 years. And during that time there, he was married and he was being prepared to come and lead his people out of Egypt. So God calls him back at the end of that 40 years. And the first thing he says, I, I can't do this. How can I go to Pharaoh? He's not going to listen to me. So God said, okay, here are some miracles you can perform. See that stick on the ground? Pick it up. And Moses picked it up and it turned to a snake. And then God said, drop it down again. And it turned back to a stick. And if they don't listen to that, after you show them that, he said, put your hand inside your cloak and take it out. And he did it. And his hand was just white with leprosy. And then God said, put your hand back in, pulled it out, and it was clean again. But then he said, if they still won't listen to you after that, then fill a bucket with water and I will turn it into blood. But Moses said, well, I don't speak very well. The people aren't going to listen to me. But God said, I place that voice in you. I will guide you. And then eventually God did get Moses' brother Aaron to be his spokesperson. But we could see how Moses was prepared. God had that position for him, that role in serving, suiting his personality, but he was still trying to come up with excuses. Personality strengths and weaknesses seem to harmonize into a useful mix when combined in community. And we look at the 12 disciples that Jesus hand chose, and they were totally different, but they all worked together as a group. So as a result of that, because we're all so different, you have a great possibility of conflict with other people. And most of our problems in our life, most of our problems in ministry are people problems. And most of our people problems are because we don't understand that God has made us differently. We're expecting people to be exactly like us. And the Bible is full of examples of personality conflicts. You had Paul and Barnabas, then Paul and John Mark, and then Paul and Peter. It's, do you notice a, a constant thread here? Paul was a choleric. He had to be in control at all times. So he had conflict with everybody. 
And there are many different problems that come as a result of personality. So I'm going to give you three factors on how to increase your personal skills with people. 80% of the people who fail in a job do so because not of a lack of ability, but because of a lack of ability to get along with other people. And your success in life is far more dependent upon this than it is on your intellect. And the number one thing that employers value in their employees is the ability to get along with others. Each week, James and I have been bringing one of our ministry leaders up to the front to share a little bit about their ministry. And at this point, I want to call Carlos Medrano, our worship and arts director, up. And it's just because I know all our ministries, the people within them get along so well, but I see it at an even greater level within the worship ministry. And I compare it to a church that I was a guest speaker at, and I arrived early so that I could just get a feel for the building, and I was sitting up in the balcony, and their band was doing their sound check, final practice, and they were fighting with one another. And I said, that's not the way it is back home. These guys work together so well. Well, we're not fighters, but not that type. Um, right? Mark? No? Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hello, everyone. My name is Carlos Medrano. I'm the worship and art director here at Halifax Christian Church. I'm originally from El Salvador, Central America. Um, I know I don't look like it, but I am from there. Um, uh, I just want to point out really quick in the first service, a couple of Sundays ago, James Stevenson, our associate pastor, said that I fade him out from the worship and art team. That is not true. The, the thing is that he was such a, he is such a great bass player that I said to him, you know what, you're making everybody look bad, so just step aside, and he did. That was great. Thank you, James. There you are. Thank you, James. Um, so, yeah, I've been a worshiping art director um, for three years. Three years, yes, almost. And if somebody has said to me 15 years ago that I was going to be doing this, I would say, you're crazy. I would never be doing that. And here I am. And it's been a blessing for me, for my family. I hope our music, our worship, our playing is a blessing for you guys as well. Because this is what it's all about. This is um, what we need to do. Serve him and his kingdom. Uh, there's uh, a couple of things that I want to talk this morning really quick. Uh, it's not a, uh, the worship and art uh, ministry is not only us playing here on stage, but it's also the people in charge of audio up here and downstairs, which sends the uh, audio for our streaming, which you're listening right now uh, at home. And uh, also the lyrics and the passages and all that stuff it doesn't appear by the grace of god somebody is downstairs <laughs> typing it like they prepare uh, a couple of days in advance so they can see the message in advance so that's really great um so we always need help we we currently have 21 members of musicians and singers but on audio and, and av slides we only have seven and six people helping sometimes are not available, so we, we need help. We need someone to, to, to help us with that. And 
because we all, like we were talking, we all have gifts. Let's use those gifts and, and help each other. This is really nice. I can tell how you like being up here. <laughs> yeah, the bus. Anyways, I just want to read. <laughs> I just want to read Isaiah 25.1 that says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. It is a privilege for me to serve God. It is a privilege for me to serve you. And I hope uh, you can experience that helping our congregation the same way. Thank you. Thank you, Carlos. His daughter, Isabella, was baptized during the first service this morning. And I talked a little bit about the history of the family. His uh, mother-in-law, Guadalupe Menendez, came when Isabella was born, and then she decided, I'm going to find a church for my daughter and, and her family. So she came, she found us, I went to visit, and you could see I was not really welcome. And, and I even pushed it to the point of doing a Bible study with Carlos, and, and I could still tell he was holding back, and then they moved down to the south end of the city and, and had to go El Salvador for a few months just around the time of his father's death. And then something changed when he came back in 2013. That was when they came to the Lord. And they've been on a good ride ever since. So the first key. So the first key here a person has to be aware of personality differences. The Proverbs 19. The person's insight gives him patience. And his version is to overlook. So the more you understand, so the more you understand, the more you understand about the more you understand about how they act and react. You're going to be more patient. You're going to be wants us to God wants us to not only understand your personality, but He wants to understand the personalities of the people around you. And if you're not aware of why people act the way they do, then you'll misunderstand or you'll misunderstand. And I think that's proof of God's sense of humor. As he put my wife Pat and I together, and we are so opposite in, in a number of different areas. I'm a night hawk, and it drives her crazy. But it, it's just the way I am. And, but chances are, if one of you is extroverted, then the other is introverted. If one of you likes variety, the other one likes more routine. If one of you is structured, the other one is unstructured. If one of you reveals their emotion, the other tends to conceal it. And he just made us that way. And we ask people, why aren't you more normal like me? But it, it's simply understanding that God made people differently. It's part of the way he made you. Now, awareness is just as key in your marriage and relating to people, but it's also a key foundation of being a good parent. We're to be aware of the personality of our children. The Bible says that Esau loved the outdoors, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Now, these are twins, and they couldn't be any more opposite, and they really didn't get along. 
And if you had been their dad, Isaac, how would it have worked if you had forced Esau to stay in the house and forced Jacob to get out there and go out for football and that type of thing at school? The, the point is to be careful not to destroy your child by trying to mold them into some preconceived pattern. Find what they're inclined toward, and the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. So what that means in Hebrew is the way that he naturally goes, the way that God has already started them in. We find that, and we match up with it. Because your children aren't going to have the same sentiment that you do about all of this. They're not going to have the same temperament. So you need to help them understand their temperament and build on the strengths of it. So being aware isn't enough. The second key to getting along with people is to accept personality differences. And the Bible says a lot about this. One place is Romans 15. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So when you look at the apostles that Jesus chose, they were as opposite as night and day. John was a very kind of meditative, thoughtful person. Peter was impulsive. He was Mr. Energy. He was always putting his foot in his mouth. So they had differences. Nathaniel, he had an easy time believing. But Thomas, you know, he, he struggled with that. Simon was a zealot. Matthew was a tax collector. These guys wouldn't have been golfing buddies prior to the time that Jesus called them to follow him. But God uses ordinary people, and there isn't one type of personality that he doesn't use. He uses every type because we can make a difference. So Romans says, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Now, you've probably heard this before. People who look up to God rarely look down on people. By looking up to God, you realize that he made everybody. So what does it mean to accept one another? What does it mean to accept your husband, your wife, or your boyfriend, or girlfriend, or your boss, or your friend? It means to realize that differences aren't a matter of right and wrong. They're just differences. And we accept each other because God loves variety. And just look around in the world and we see all the differences that God loves. In Romans 14, let us stop turning critical eyes on one another. Let us rather be critical of our own conduct and see that we do nothing to make a brother stumble. So to accept others means that you don't criticize them. And what do we criticize someone for? It's usually something that they don't do the same way that we do. We use ourselves as that reference point. And when you do that, you're setting yourself up as a standard for all personality. And God says, that's not it. It's like a church. No church appeals to everybody, and that's okay. It's not a matter of right and wrong. It's not a matter of good or bad. It's a matter of your personality. That's when you arrived here, you said, ah, oh, this is where I fit. Ephesians 4.2, generously make allowances for each other because you love each other. That verse can save your marriage. Stop trying to change your spouse to be like you. God didn't want them to be like you. 
in one of the weddings I had this summer, I was doing premarital counseling with the couple, and he was an extreme athlete. He had five different bikes for all different types of terrain, and, and she did like to read and kind of hang around the house, but we were talking about ways in which they could be involved and do some things recreationally together. And she said, how can we do it? I got a bike, but he wants to bike to Lunenburg and back. I, I just want to bike along a path. So we made a compromise when he would go out for a run. She would ride her bike along beside him. And it was about the same speed. So it was perfect. But everybody has differences. And we need to be aware of those differences. And we need to accept them. So we can accept them. And we can appreciate them. That is their final step. It is appreciating personality differences. You value people's uniqueness. You see God's wisdom in making us all different. And you'd be grateful that we're all not alike. Just imagine what the world would be like if we were all the same. It would be horrible. But God loves diversity, and we need it for a balance. We need to not only accept our differences, but appreciate them and value them. Because it takes all kinds of people to make a balanced home, to make a balanced relationship, to make a balanced church, to make a balanced community, to make a balanced world. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. All of you together are the one body of Christ, and each of you is a separate and necessary part of it. So if you have your Bible in front of you, circle that word necessary, because all personalities are necessary. If two people agreed perfectly on everything, then one of them isn't necessary. Like when you eat, you eat with a knife and a fork. You don't have two knives. You don't have two forks. And if you learn to not only be aware and accept, but also appreciate the differences of the people around you, it will make your life a whole lot easier because you will become like Jesus Christ. He's aware of all the personalities because he made them and he accepts them. He appreciates them. To be Christ-like is actually to see the value in each of the differences that he's given people. Now Romans 12.10 says, Have a profound respect for each other. See, that's what God commands you to do. He wants you to appreciate so how do I have profound respect for someone who has negative characteristics? Well, you need to look behind those and see that many times a negative character trait or a negative personality problem is often a positive characteristic being misused. There might be a person that is hypercritical. And what actually might be happening there is they may have the positive characteristic of discernment, but they're just misusing it. Someone might be bossy all the time, and they're actually misusing the positive characteristic of responsibility. Someone who is impulsive all the time is misusing the positive characteristic of flexibility. So look behind the negative and see what is being misused and it needs to be channeled in a positive way. 
It seems like the number of dysfunctional people is increasing in our world today. And we ask why. I think it's because people don't understand or accept or appreciate what God made them to be. And if you've ever felt like that, if you felt like this, if you think, I don't think anybody understands me, I don't think anybody accepts me, I don't think anybody appreciates me, I want you to know that Jesus Christ does. He made you. He knows you. He cares about you. He accepts you. He even went to the cross to die for you. That's how much he values you. And if you give your life to him, he'll help develop your personality that he gave you to its greatest potential. If you haven't done that, do so. Talk to us. Talk to my associate pastor, James, or I, or any of our leadership. And for those of you who are already believers, God expects you, as he does me, to obey. Romans 12.10 again. Have a profound respect for each other. By being aware and accepting and appreciating others, you can share God's greatest gift of Jesus Christ with people. So you actually just make a list of the strengths and weaknesses of your personality trait. Then ask yourself a question. What does my personality type indicate about the type of ministry that God would want me to be involved in? This week's homework is much shorter than the last few weeks. And it's just for you to just kind of plot your personality. We've got some options there and you just decide where you're at on that spectrum and it will help you in determining what type of ministry you should be involved in. But he has a ministry. If you're an introvert, God doesn't want you to be greeting in, as a ministry. If you're an extrovert, you're probably not going to be happy working in the background. You want to be up front but he has a ministry that is best for you.